felt like this with this thing this social anxiety was in my way you know it was it was a wall that was stopping me from being able to be myself and and I feel now that wall has been taken down so I can just be myself so whether it, that's a confident me one moment or an unconfident me another moment that's okay but but at least I can be myself which I, has been the most the most important thing about the whole process really hello welcome to act inspired behavior the show about real people and their real stories of transformation and change told through the lens of acceptance and commitment therapy. I'm Gabby Lanier. Here's a question for you. If you don't like your personality, can you change it? Today is all about how we see ourselves and fighting against parts of ourselves that seem unchangeable. And maybe there are parts of your personality or ways in which you move around in the world that you've changed but maybe there are also remnants of that way of being that have largely stayed the same. This part of you, the part that never changes, is what we're going to talk about today. Later in the episode, my guest Joanna Burberry, a clinical psychologist in London, and I will chat about this concept. It's called the observer self. We also discuss ways in which our struggles with social anxiety have shaped our young lives and how we no longer feel defined by these thoughts and labels, but that it is still part of our current experience. As you listen, think about the ways in which you describe your own personality, whether it be introverted, extroverted, or a combination of both. See how these labels have shaped your perception of yourself and the ways in which you move around in the world. And then perhaps you will discover that that part of you, it really is a context of your environment and a fluid, ever-changing experience. Before we get there with my conversation with Joanna, I want to briefly share my own story about this. What I found so fascinating in my conversation with Joanna is that we have so much in common, and yet our stories are actually really different and our personal experiences and ways of navigating through social anxiety are different. I want to share that I was labeled as shy ever since I was little, and that this general sense of who I am has morphed and changed over the years. In college, I developed social anxiety, a condition that worsened into my 20s, but as I read through my journal from that time, because I just did it the other day, I realized that I actually wasn't experiencing social anxiety all the time the way that I remember. It actually really ebbed and flowed a lot. And then as I read through, I discovered that there were certain situations in which I felt really bold and spontaneous and extroverted, and then other situations where I was intensely anxious, where I had to kind of white knuckle through social situations. And I have this vivid memory of myself. Um, This is kind of what sparked me going back and looking through my journal at that time. Um, But I remember I was sitting at a bus stop, and I really want to share this moment with you. I was... 22 and I had just graduated from college and I was about three weeks away from going into the Peace Corps. So I was journaling journaling a lot at that time. I had so much to say about what was going on. And so here is a snippet from that moment um, sitting at the bus stop that I'm going to share with you. I guess the one real concern I have, if you ask me if I have any trepidations about leaving, is that I hope to shake away a little of my introverted nature. I think that your personality, whether it be predominantly showy or charming or arrogant, passive, timid, or morbidly shy, I think it can be modified. 
If you strongly dislike the negative aspects of your natural personality, can you change it? I have always been shy and sometimes viciously awkward in social situations, but I don't want to be. Can you just push yourself into the spotlight by practicing? Or am I destined to be a backdrop, a wallflower? It's interesting, really, because I feel myself on the brink between these two worlds, one being social and the other being insecure and isolated. I'm really worried that I won't make a good first impression in the Peace Corps and that I won't be listened to. I'm more worried about making friends with other volunteers and then eventually people in my village. This insecurity to some may be completely ungrounded, but honestly, for me, making relationships and connecting to people is one of life's greatest accomplishments. Okay, and so here is a short poem that I wrote then, um, and I drew a little picture of the bus stop that I was sitting at. It says, Revelations at the bus stop. Waiting for life to begin. Waiting to be transported to my next destination. Thinking and reading and praying that I can change. But that I don't stop living when waiting for my next big life transition. You should be inspired by the people who once sat here. Perhaps they've now arrived. Okay. So that was my journal entry. Um, I could so tap back into that part of myself, that worried 22-year-old self. And as I look back to that younger version of me, I have just so much compassion now, kind of knowing what laid ahead, how difficult the Peace Corps was for someone like me, for for me. (laughs) It was really, really hard. Um, And I can look back to that part of me and just tell myself, because I know I can say that, you know, I'm still in the process of arriving. I'm still in the process of becoming. Okay, so what we're going to do now is we're going to go into the conversation with Joanna and we're going to learn a little bit more about her and her story. Hello. Whoa. Hi. How are you, Joanna? Yeah, good. How are you doing? doing pretty well so this is this is going to be fun and I I know that we have social anxiety in common mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so I really I feel like I really connect with people who have yeah. that similar experience and I don't know about you but I love one-on-one conversations so yeah. much because then we can mm-hmm. just talk about things and go really yeah. deep and I would love to just go ahead and and have you introduce yourself and tell the audience who you are Hi, Gabby. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be on the podcast. I've never done anything like this before, so it's it's a very new experience for me, um, but really happy that you invited me to do this. So my name is Joanna Burberry. I'm a clinical psychologist. I currently live in London and I work in the NHS. I work with adults with uh, common mental health problems such as anxiety and depression. And I grew up very far away from here. I grew up on um, an island called Tasmania at the bottom of Australia and in the middle, in the middle of that island on a farm. So uh, very far away from London and a very different sort of experience to London. Um, so I had, yeah, quite a quiet sort of upbringing there. 
but I've lived in London for about uh, 12 years or so, I think. That's a little bit about me. Awesome. And is your is your accent, would you say it's like a combination of London, British and Australian or how would you describe it? I mean, it's always hard if people ask me that. I, um, I assume I don't sound very Australian. <laughs> um, so I think I have I mean, I, I think I, I never had a very broad Australian accent anyway. Um, and I think because I've lived here for 12 years, I think it has even softened it a little bit more. So, um, yeah, I might have sort of a, an Australian slash British accent. Interesting. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you for telling us about yourself. And I noticed that you, that you're really passionate about acceptance and commitment therapy as one of your therapy modalities. And when I reached out to you, I was pretty sure you'd have some story to tell about your own experience or maybe things that you've reflected back on in your life that have demonstrated some of the processes of ACT. I believe the story that you want to share today is about you when you were younger, kind of your experience living through and and having social anxiety. And Mm -hmm. so it's a little bit hard to, to, to maybe pinpoint where this story starts since it's, you know, when you were a little kid, but is there a moment when you can kind of look back and think too, that symbolizes your realizing that you have this tendency? I would definitely say that I was just a very, very shy child. I was, I was sort of painfully shy. You know, you sort of hear that expression about, about children that they're painfully shy. Well, I definitely was. I, um, as I said, I grew up on a farm. So we were, you know, we weren't surrounded by neighbours. It was just sort of me and my mom and my dad and my older brother and then my sister who was four years younger than me. Um, so it was quite a quiet, a quiet sort of household in lots of ways. And, yeah, I just, I was so shy. So I would... Um, I remember, you know, little things from my childhood, like family, friends coming around to visit and I would be, I would run up to my room, you know, and hide, hide under my bed, hide in the bed, you know, because I didn't want to, didn't want to, you know, talk, talk to anyone. Um, Or I remember, I remember being very young. I think it's one of my almost earliest memories and being really young. I must have only been, you know, maybe I was only like three or four or something. I remember being at a party, you know, parents, grown-ups party. And looking for my dad and I remember then sort of I was in the middle of all these people and they were really tall and I remember I just sort of grabbed on to someone's leg I think um, and then I looked up and it wasn't my dad and then everyone started laughing oh. and I still remember at that you know being so young having a, being self-conscious about that kind of feeling like people were laughing at me feeling like I'd done something wrong so yeah I think I just all throughout my childhood I was very very shy I went to a, a small country school and you know I made friends but you know I was just very quiet and I was I was never in sort of you know the cool group or, or friends with the louder girls I was sort of you know might have been friends with one person so I always felt slightly um, different from people slightly separate so that that would be sort of my initial experience of, of social anxiety I suppose is sort of that shyness being you know when I was young and then I think as as you sort of grow and you become an adolescent you become much more self-conscious and that's usually the time when people develop something which is more like sort of social anxiety where it becomes extremely you know debilitating so it probably was more in my I suppose early teenage years when I really started to struggle with the my more common symptoms of social anxiety. Yeah. 
I just have to say, I really, really relate to what you're saying. Mm -hmm. I had, I experienced the same thing when I was younger, actually Mm -hmm. almost that same story where I Mm -hmm. thought my mom, my aunt was my mom, she had twins. And then my mom came home Mm -hmm. and I realized it wasn't my mom, Mm -hmm. (laughs) terrified, terrified of family even. Yeah. Yeah. And you also mentioned this moment where people were laughing. Mm -hmm. And so obviously you can look back to that and say, oh, they were laughing because it was probably really sweet that Mm -hmm. you look someone else. And, Mm -hmm. but you, that you reacted, you interpreted that response very differently. Mm -hmm. Do you think that kind of characterized later on that kind of sense Mm -hmm. of people like looking at you, people laughing at Mm -hmm. you? Mm-hmm. Like to you that that attention mm-hmm. how did how did that feel when you had that sort of attention on you yeah I mean that's the main struggle I think with sort of social anxiety is that sort of sense of feeling like you're under the spotlight feeling like people are really aware of you and aware of every little thing you're doing or, or the way that you look and I think yeah it's a very similar feeling to that feeling when I was really little it's that same sort of sense of, of sort of being under the spotlight and and being being observed and being scrutinized yeah uh, yeah and it's like you're um when people show up in the world there's this sense of okay you know you should be able to talk you should be able to interact you should be able to kind mm-hmm. of especially as a little kid if you're cute mm-hmm. then you should entertain and mm-hmm. if you don't do those things and they don't you don't fit that box or mm-hmm. that kind of normal mm-hmm. yeah. outside the normal realm of you know a typical kid or a typical teen like for you if you're not quote-unquote normal what are you Mm-hmm. yeah yeah you're different aren't you but obviously as you as a child you interpret it very differently you might think that that's something really wrong with you so as you were getting older and you were starting to mm-hmm. develop more self-awareness around this tendency that you had or these internal and external behaviors were there any moments that that really stayed with you that similar to that moment where someone grabbed your leg was there a moment where you it really became apparent to you this is how I am this is how I react in the world um I just know sort of going through um through secondary school I really struggled particularly in class you know so in the class where there might be a you might need to answer a question. So terrified that the teacher was going to ask me something. So always trying to kind of avoid that from happening. In terms of my social anxiety symptoms, the main ones that I really struggled with was blushing. So my face would go really red and my neck a little bit and also sweating as well. So I kind of had this, this awful feeling of like, not only was I, you know, always feeling like people were aware of me and scrutinizing me and, but I, also had these physical symptoms that I just couldn't control that kept happening and it's just so yeah at times it was humiliating because you know you sort of you're with your friends and you're you're kind of just all having a chat and then and then sometimes it would happen and sometimes it wouldn't but you know out of the blue you'd just sort of blush and and you'd sort of feel this sense of everyone noticing and it being really hot in your face and and all this sort of stuff so it it was it was really hard um and I went to a really good school, but not one, I don't think one teacher ever, ever sort of approached me or ever, you know, discussed it with me. And I was thinking about it. I think there was, I think there was a teacher, maybe he even was a psychology teacher. And I remember once being asked to go to his office and I wasn't sure what it was all about. And we had sort of a conversation, but that's as far as it went. So, and I was always very confused what that was about, but I wonder if, 
I wonder if one of the teachers had just sort of said, you know, I wonder if, if Joe is struggling with anxiety and he'd wanted to talk to me, but, it, but nothing ever happened from that anyway. So, so it was sort of like this sort of awful, solitary, isolated experience that I went through. And I didn't really talk to any of my friends about it because I think I was so humiliated anyway. I didn't want to bring any more attention to it. So it wasn't something that I ever spoke to anyone about. Yeah. Um, I, just sort of, I just sort of experienced it on my own and just sort of tried to get through things. Um, but yeah, it, it was with me throughout my whole secondary school. It was really bad, you know, towards the end of secondary school. And then I, this is me, I think part of my drive is I want to do things and I want to achieve and I want to, um, you know, be able to see what I can do. And it was so frustrating that that sort of was holding me back. At the age of, I think, 18, just after I finished school, my friend and I used to row um, competitively and we actually got scholarships to America. So I actually went in America for about a year and a half or two years just after school. So that was like, that was a huge culture shock. Uh, And I felt like all American people were uh, loud, opinionated, confident, uh, you know, (laughs) sure of themselves, uh, able to speak their mind. And so it kind of made me feel even more different because I was like, not only am I struggling with this social anxiety, but then I'm put in a situation where people seemed even more confident. So that was that was quite difficult as well. One thing I was thinking about was, as you mentioned, going back to that psychology teacher or that teacher who did Mm. reach out to you. Mm -hmm. And it kind of sounds like they recognized that maybe you needed something, but but didn't know what to say or what to do Mm. to help. Mm -hmm. But if it was you who went, who was that person, that caring Mm -hmm. adult, what would you have wanted that person to say to you during that time in your life? I don't know how I would have accepted it at the time, but knowing what I know now, Maybe if it was someone that was quite approachable and they were able to sort of say, look, you know, I wonder if this might be what you're struggling with and that this is common, you know, people do struggle with this, but, it, you know, it's, but it's also really difficult and maybe even giving me some, some advice about what I could do or, I mean, I, I would hope that if that was happening to someone now at school, in secondary school, that they would be offered some counselling or some, some support. That probably would have been really nice because I had to work it all out myself, which is fine and maybe quite good that I was able to do that. But it would have been quite nice at that point when I was sort of 15, 16, someone sort of explaining to me, actually, this is okay. You're, you know, you're not strange. You're not weird. Other people struggle with this and you can get help. Yeah. And I think it's also, I mean, the more that I've talked to people, if I mention this social anxiety, where you feel like you show up in, a, in the world, or you show up to a situation or a conversation, especially groups, that's where it's more, most mm. difficult for me personally, that there's actually a lot of people out there who mm. are from this same dynamic internally, where there's Absolutely. the thought that is coming at you, mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever they're saying in the moment, you know, you're yeah. not saying enough, you're saying too much. Yeah, you, you you know, you're not smart enough or whatever that the words may be that kind of that internal dialogue that then stops you from interacting at all and makes you want mm. to just go away. But yeah. that is incredibly common and so many people mm. suffer from that. Um, yeah, I totally agree. I think it's I feel like it's one of the most common anxiety problems or difficulties that people experience. They might experience it alongside other things as well, but it's it's so common. So I'm always looking out for that when I'm working with with people, sort of asking questions around that. And you've kind of carried this. Would you mm-hmm. say part of your identity? Is that part of who you are? It's, it's not really, which is the interesting thing, because it was for so long. And then I managed to find a way to overcome it. 
I'm I'm not saying I'm confident all the time at all, but um, I'm a manager in my team. I'm talking to groups of people all the time. I'm giving talks to sort of GPs and nurses, doing training sessions, being sort of on the spot, having people ask me questions um, in these trainings. So it's completely different from what I was like at school. It's a huge 360, I suppose. So I don't, I don't, I don't see myself as that person anymore, really. I don't have that. It's not the same feeling. It's not, I don't have that sense of being scrutinized in that way or, and I, I don't, I don't have the, the difficulty so much with sort of blushing as well. So I think that that was a huge part of it. Cause I, I think my difficulty was, I felt like I was a very good people person. I loved interacting with people. I am sort of an introverted extrovert. You know, I do get a lot of energy from, from being around people and, and conversing with people but I felt like this with this thing with social anxiety was in my way you know it was it was a wall that was stopping me from being able to be myself and and I feel now that wall has been taken down so I can just be myself so whether that's a confident me one moment or an unconfident me another moment that's okay but but at least I can be myself which I, has been the most the most important thing about the whole process really oh I love that yeah. <laughs> like no matter what, you are, you are yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it's like you've shed that part of you that mm. you told yourself you were, or maybe other people interpreted you as, like whether mm. that was a shy person. Mm-hmm. But that's not necessarily mm. your identity. Your identity is you and what you care about. Yeah what is it now that drives you and the way that you move around in the world? Mm. How do you want to be in the world? So I think I find, I I, I mean, I just feel so, so grateful that I, that I I did literally fall into psychology. I didn't have a grand plan when I was younger that I was going to be a psychologist. It just, it just kind of happened. And I feel so fortunate that I've been able to work in this um, profession I've learned so much about myself and so much about other people and just human nature. And I feel like my my purpose in life, the way that, that I'm sort of always functioning and thinking about things and is to try and really understand myself the best I can um, and to look after myself the best I can so I can understand other people and help other people as well. So I think, you know, so much of what I do on a day-to-day basis is is focused around that really. Um, so I and I think just working as a psychologist and I'm sure you feel the same in your in your area is just um, having that opportunity to to get to know people to understand people to to try and work things out um, and and to try and help help people as well so yeah I think that's what's um, really drives me on a day-to-day basis yeah and you found this larger purpose yeah well and I'm sure, I'm sure to some extent, and I, I definitely feel this way. I don't know about you, but I still mm-hmm. feel those feelings of self-doubt, mm-hmm. but it's, if you can focus on what is really important, which is mm-hmm. maybe I feel afraid to say hi to this person. I mean, I have that mm-hmm. thought, <laughs> like they mm-hmm. will be annoyed if I say hi to them or mm-hmm. what have you. I do it anyways. Those things that are remnants of just this larger history of mm. who I am, they show up randomly all the time. And then when mm. you're younger, because when you're younger, I think we become convinced that they're true because mm-hmm. that's what people tell us, you know, people tell us who we are. And, but then as you get older, you realize, oh, 
I am uh-huh. who I say I am, or I am who I am uh-huh. because I want to be. Yeah. And you're just growing into yourself more and more and more over time. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. Just takes longer maybe for people like us. <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't know who I was for so long. Cause I guess just, I had people telling me who I was for so long. Yeah. 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 I, I'm kind of grateful I went through what I went through because I think, you know, it sort of almost forced me to really stop and try and understand myself and understand why I was going through that and why I went through it and and why other people go through these similar, you know, difficulties. And um, so actually I'm quite grateful for that history, really. I think it's sort of all of that also shaped, you know, where I am now, obviously. So So I'm quite grateful for it. Yeah. And I bet your sense of empathy too, for other people, mm-hmm. who've, like your clients, kids or adults you work with, mm-hmm. you, if you hadn't had that experience, mm-hmm. really approach those situations with that same sort of perspective, like maybe you can, but yeah, no, I think it, it definitely changes your perspective. I think when you've been through something like that, Yeah. Um, but I wanted to, I wanted to tell you a bit about one the, the first time that I realized that maybe I didn't have to listen to these thoughts um so it was a really yeah interesting time just when I was at university so even so as I went into university after I came back from America I went to um the local university in Tasmania um still struggling a lot with with social anxiety and I think then I'd I was I'd finishing my my bachelor degree and I was I was planning to go and do a honours degree in psychology and I just knew that there was going to be presentations and 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 things like that and there was just going to be more pressure on me to to be able to speak up in class so I I finally built up the courage to go to the university counselling service and I was kind of terrified to even just go to this appointment because it just I don't even know why I just felt scared to talk about what I'd been experiencing and um, and things like that. So I, I went along to this appointment and I cried through most of it, to be honest. And it was interesting because um, the psychologists in training often worked at the counselling service and I ended up working in that counselling service quite a few late, years later. But one of the, but the person that I, that I um, had a session with was, was a trainee psychologist. And I don't know if, how she felt, but <laughs> I remember just thinking she looked a bit sort of shocked and not sure how to how to cope with this girl that was crying continuously. Um, and <laughs> I remember thinking at the time it was a bit strange. I thought that maybe she should that, that would be okay place to be crying a lot. But um, I, at the end of the session, I think she just uh, she said, oh, "I'm going to I'm going to give you a book to read, and and then you can make another appointment." Um, and I was like, okay. And she she put this book in front of my face. It was a book called something like How to Overcome Shyness. And I felt so angry because I thought she hasn't listened or she hasn't heard anything that I've said. I'm not shy. I've got this awful problem where I blush and it's so awful. And I have to avoid doing lots of different things because I feel so uncomfortable. And, um, and I thought she really didn't understand me. So I, um, I sort of took the book and I read the book and it was, it was um, a book on CBT. I remember reading the section on thought challenging and it was the first time in my life that I went, oh, okay, yeah, maybe my thoughts aren't true. Maybe they're not accurate. 
maybe I'm assuming that people are looking at me and thinking something or that I'm looking a certain way. So it, it was the first sort of light bulb moment where I went, oh, okay, this, this, this could be helpful. So yeah, I just always remember that moment as being a really important moment because uh, it was like this big shift in the way that I was seeing things. I love this moment of realization for Joanna. The idea that we have thoughts, thoughts which may or may not be true, thoughts which we experience but aren't who we are. Joanna is referring to a book that utilizes a therapeutic model called CBT or Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. A related field, actually it's kind of like an overarching field and then um, acceptance and commitment ther therapy fits into that field. And CBT is kind of the second wave of behavioral therapy. And then ACT is the third wave of behavioral and cognitive therapy. So there are a lot of overlaps between these two fields, but the main connection is the idea that thoughts are behaviors and that thoughts and feelings and sensations and memories are a part of a pattern of behaving are private events like any other behavior we might engage in and they kind of they fit it within that those same principles of behavior so later on we will dive into the idea that this pattern of thinking and moving around in the world is behavior and that behavior is really just a response to our surroundings or a response to our environment but not a lasting reflection of who we are they are separate from us they're part of our experience but not us per se like I mentioned in the intro, the parts of who we are, the parts that truly remain unchanged are the purest form of ourselves that produces no thought at all. It merely receives information, observing the world around us. And this part of ourselves is called the observer self, a term that refers to our ability to take perspective. It is also the part of us that is non-judgmental, since it produces no thought whatsoever. It doesn't even have the ability to produce judgment. And so it is the part of us that is our witness, our eyes and ears and heart, and it just simply receives. So let's connect with that part of you right now. And if you are in a safe place to do so, aka you're not driving, then I welcome you to close your eyes and then otherwise just listen along. So I'm going to begin by, by leading us through a couple of deep breaths, just a couple and so in doing so, we're going to be grounding ourselves into the present moment. So the way that I like to do this is I breathe in through my nose really deeply. And I hold. And then I breathe out. Letting out all of the air and really just relaxing my shoulders. And then do it again. Feel how it feels to breathe in through your nose and out through your mouth. If you like, take one more deep breath. I now invite you to be aware of the feeling in your fingertips. Whatever they're doing, Take your thumb and slightly pass them over the very tips of your fingers, contacting that sensation with a bit of lightness, of childlike curiosity.
And now sense if there's anything that you're feeling, any emotions that are present with you right now, right here. What are they? And what sensations do they produce in your body? Ground yourself into that feeling. Now, as you're doing all this, I want you to take a moment and ask yourself, who is doing that noticing? Where is that part of you that is observing all of these things? We call this part of you the observer self. Some people might say, if they were to locate where it is, their observer self, they might say that it's somewhere behind the eyes. Or they might say that it's farther away, kind of zoomed out, watching everything with this perspective outside of your body. Wherever that is for you, whatever that looks like, connect with that part of you that is aware of what you are aware of. That witness to your life. So take a moment and connect to that part of yourself as you're continuing to notice whatever sensation is most predominant for you right now, whether it's a feeling, emotion, the sensations in your fingertips, or your breath. And then when you're ready, release your focus from all of these sensations and slowly open your eyes and then see your surroundings now from that observer perspective with a new sense of awareness, a new sense of curiosity. Okay, before I move on, I want to invite you to engage in an upcoming focus group. In this group, I really want to work with individuals who experience and who have experienced the label of introvert. During this focus group, I want to ask questions. I want to learn more about the types of struggles that you might face if this is something that you identify with. And then for all of us to frame these experiences together and discuss ways in which you might receive support and also ways in which you thrive. In this group, it's free, and I plan to hold more than one in the future, but I have one coming up. It's going to be on Saturday, February 6th from 7 to 8.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. So if you're interested, go ahead and register. Um, you can do so through my website. So let's get back to Joanna's story, where she begins to talk about her transition from her awareness of her thoughts toward a life defined by her values and this higher calling to be a clinical psychologist. Luckily, and very grateful that I, that I ended up going through psychology as a career because if I'd done something else, I probably wouldn't even have come across these ideas 
potentially, I'm not sure. Um, so, you know, so grateful that I've been able to do that because it was from sort of becoming a psychologist um, that I started to learn about ACT. I think it was, it was probably, yeah, in one of my last final years of doing my master's of clinical psychology, I went to a training session with Russ Harris, who's written quite a few books on, on ACT. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember, um, again, I remember feeling so self-conscious in that training because it wasn't, it wasn't a huge group of people there. It was, it was kind of a smaller group and it's quite, obviously it's very experiential as well. And I wasn't quite sure, you know, is he, he going to ask questions? Is he going to get us to talk out in the group? You know, all this sort of stuff. But um, <laughs> I remember doing an exercise, uh, which was a mindfulness exercise where uh, we were just, he was just getting us to notice our breath. Um, I think, and then maybe even start to notice that notice our thoughts or anything that was coming into our mind, you know, so just that typical kind of mindfulness uh, awareness exercise. And then he just said these, you know, the phrase of now I want you to notice who's doing that noticing. Who's noticing the thoughts, who's noticing what's happening in the body. And I remember this kind of crazy, it was like this very surreal moment where I kind of, something shifted in my brain. And I realized there was almost like these two parts of me well, there is these two parts of me there there's the thinking part you know the thoughts that come up which which I normally you know used to identify with completely that that was me but doing that exercise and in that split second I realized there was another part of me this observing part so the observer self that could see all of these things that were happening inside my own mind um, so it was separate and it meant that I couldn't, you know, that I wasn't those thoughts, that they, was, they were there, but they weren't the, the total of me, I suppose, that there was something else. And I remember having that experience and thinking, whoa, that's amazing uh, to, to kind of start to realise that, that I'm not my thoughts, um, that they're not me, that there's another part to me. And it helps you to then go to be that observer and say, oh, yeah, some of my thoughts are very weird and very strange. Like, why is that thought coming up now? That's very odd, you know. So I think, you know, I, I've taken that with me ever since. I've just always become very sort of aware of, you know, different thoughts coming up, but not becoming fused with them. Just being able to, I mean, of course, there are times where I'm fused with my thoughts, but, you know, in a general sense, sort of being able to have that kind of attitude towards my own sort of thoughts. So that was an amazing, another amazing sort of moment that really helped me as well. I love that. I love mm. the phrase you just said, having a different attitude toward my thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. It's like your relationship with them changes. Totally. Yeah, I, I had the same experience actually with Russ Harris, but it was on, on his mm. app, um, oh, yeah. the Act Companion. And there's this, uh, there's a meditation that's called the Observer Self or something like that. Now that I think of it, that was the first time where I realized that there was that part of you that mm -hmm. is the Observer Self. He says something like, notice your thought, there's your thought, and then there's you, it's your feeling, there's the feeling, and then there's you, and wow, that was, mm. that was huge, that was huge for me in my understanding of, of mm. act, and I think it's a subtle, it's a subtle thing, but it can be really, really powerful to, to then, like you said, change your attitude, change your relationships to your thought, that yeah. internal narrative that you're constantly, <laughs> it's like just constantly going. I think in some ways it's, it's, it's the most important, it's not the most important thing about, because actually the, all, the, all the different processes are so important, but it's, 
it's so significant to, to have that realization. And it's amazing that you can have it through, it can be a split second. You know, all you have to do is, is kind of be doing that mindfulness exercise and have that, you know, hear that phrase and all of a sudden it changes that perspective. Um, but it gives you so much room to, to, you know, live in line with your values and pursue and do, do things that you know are gonna be good for you in the long term because it gives you that space in between the thoughts. Um, and, and making that choice because because no, normally what would happen is you're just you're just in the thoughts and you're just you're reacting to the thoughts because um, you've got nowhere else to go you know inside whereas this just gives you gives you more space and yeah I think it's so important yeah and I like you said giving you space um, I think also just like having that sense of self-compassion mm -hmm. all right <laughs> here we go yeah. again here's yeah. the, the the Gabby or the Joanna narrative around like mm -hmm. being the shy person in the room or mm -hmm. being able to speak up it's not okay to say something or mm -hmm. don't take up too much space don't be in the spotlight and then you can just have a, like you said a little bit of space a little bit of self-perspective or self-compassion to say well thank mm -hmm. you for that thought yeah. <laughs> interesting yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I definitely did that when I, you know, started working as a psychologist. Um, I think had a, a lot of um, imposter syndrome. Mm. I'm sure probably nearly every, you know, newly qualified therapist feels. Um, but yeah, I remember, uh, you know, often having this self-doubt, you know, that I wasn't going to be good enough, that, you know, I wasn't going to be a help help um, the clients I was working with but I didn't know enough that I wasn't a good enough therapist um, and it could have been also other other thoughts that would come up and I remember just the way I would deal with them is is well the way I would use where I would try and deal with them would um, would be just to think well okay but maybe that maybe that's not true maybe the thought's not true so so let's just kind of act as if it's not true and let's see what happens um, and I think that helped me a lot as a as a young psychologist it really sort of helped me to to yeah not be limited by those thoughts and just you know to not feel so so stressed by being in that sort of situation of being a newly qualified therapist uh, so I still I still use that to to this day obviously because I still get lots of of thoughts um, lots of self-doubt uh, lots of you know um thoughts about not being good enough you know that happens but I just I just notice the thoughts I acknowledge them and and just sort of just decide to to see well what would happen if 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 it's not true how you know how would I how would I respond and sometimes the thoughts too maybe they are a little true or <laughs> there's like a yeah. truth in them like yeah. yeah I've only been practicing for so many months or years or not even a year what have you Mm -hmm. but um like this isn't helpful where do we go from here mm -hmm. I, I like to think too like when I when I when I recognize that something's kind of true in in a sense that yeah I mean I could interpret it either way but then I try to think about what value it speaks to mm -hmm. and one thing I've thought about with that that imposter those imposter like lines of thinking is sometimes sometimes it is true to a certain extent but then I think okay yeah. well maybe this is talking about 
my value around like competence and mastery and mm-hmm. maybe even my ethical obligation to the clients or, or people that folks that I'm working with. And mm-hmm. so what can I do about that thought so mm-hmm. that it turns into something a little bit more helpful? Yeah. So, okay, Joanna, I could talk to you for so long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's been really good. I feel like we're on the same page around mm. like, this passion for act and for, and I can tell, cause I've, um, you know, I, I look through your social media, your mm-hmm. mission to disseminate act, just to build this larger community of people who are interested in it. So mm-hmm. I really love that about you. And I'm going to continue following you and your work. And so I'd love, before we leave, I'd love for you to, to share how people can find you if they wanted to follow you on, on social media or happen to live in your area and they could mm-hmm. come see you as a therapist. Yeah, I mean, I mainly do uh, therapy online anyway, even before the pandemic. <laughs> okay. So the website for, for that is www.cbtlondontherapy.com. Um, and for social media, it's my Instagram account is the Act Psychologist. Uh, so I'm sure if you look that up, you would you would find me. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you, Joanna. I wish you thank- a wonderful rest of your Saturday. Well, thank you for having me. It's been really good. Yeah, this has been fun. Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll um, we'll keep in touch, and I'll I'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Talk to you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye bye. There is a little, there's a story I remember being about being really shy, Matthew. You want to listen to it? Mm-hmm. Okay. So when I was a little girl. In this episode, you heard from Joanna, a clinical psychologist who is now no longer governed by her thoughts and sensations associated by social anxiety. Rather, she fully embraces her ever-changing experience, whether it's a feeling of confidence or a feeling of withdrawal. Either way, she continues to move toward her values, both personally and professionally. In her story, we see how one can not only survive the struggles of social anxiety, but thrive. When we look back upon our own situation, we can see the behaviors, we can see the things that we did, we can see the ways in which we thought or worried, the feelings that we had. But if we can tap into that observer self, we can also see it as this impermanent part, this ever-changing part of our experience outside of who we really are. We see that, as I described before, that these experiences constantly change with our environment wherever we go. That the anxiety we feel in one moment is merely an experience or product of that situation with this decentralized perspective, this observer self perspective, we can even start to shed some of those rigid narratives of who we are, those stories of who we are in favor of this more loving, more flexible, more fluid perspective. And in doing so, we have the power to respond to these experiences in new ways, maybe in ways that allow us to live in line with the values we want to truly be about such as connection or belonging, enjoying the company of others. Not only can we do this, but I think that we can still live those parts of ourselves, whether they're shy or introverted. And in fact, I fully believe that we can be vibrant introverts or vibrant extroverts who love alone time and also love from time to time 
and enjoy being in the spotlight. Tell me another story. Oh, I have a question for you, Matthew. What it, do you ever feel shy? Somebody I don't know, yes. When there's someone you don't know? If you are interested in reaching out and telling your story, or would like to learn more through my blog, workshops, or coaching, find me on Instagram at actinspiredbehavior, email me at gabby at actinspiredbehaviorcoaching.com, or use the link in my website listed in the show notes. I'd love to hear from you. If this episode resonated with you, subscribe to this podcast and stay tuned for future episodes. And please take a moment to rate and even review this show because it is so, so helpful in getting others to find this show. Thank you so much. Do you think mommy's shy now? Nope. How come? Because I'm a grown-up. That how it works. You don't think grown-ups are shy? Mm, who are you afraid of? Who are you shy of? Do you think being afraid, being shy is being afraid of people? Mm, yeah. Hmm, that's interesting. You know, I am trying to think of when the last time I was shy. Hello again. I want to take a moment and say that this podcast is for educational purposes only. Content and conversation provided in this podcast should not be taken as or replace professional or therapeutic recommendations. As a board-certified behavior analyst, my goal is to disseminate ACT and behavior analysis to the wider public and have meaningful conversations to further explore our understanding. If you are concerned about your own personal well-being, I encourage you to seek out the help of a licensed professional who can provide individual support to you. Thank you so much.